when I think of a born again legalist, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think of someone who beats themselves up when they miss a church service or a Wednesday night prayer group. Yeah. Who needs to be told that you're still saved? Right. <laughs> it's right. okay. Yeah. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. Grab a cup of coffee and join Colleen Tinker and Nikki Stevenson as they discuss their life after Adventism. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Nikki Stevenson. And I'm Colleen Tinker. Today we're continuing our walk through Galatians chapter 2 with a discussion on verses 11 to 14, which cover Paul's public correction of Peter. If you're just joining us for this study, we encourage you to go back and listen beginning with episode 146, the introduction to the book of Galatians. Now to give context to the passage we'll look at today, let's just remember a few things. Paul wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia because they were entertaining false teachers who were trying to yoke them to a message that stood in direct contradiction with the gospel Paul was given by God through revelation. Paul told these churches that by doing this, they were abandoning God. Now, it appears based on Paul's defense of his ministry and knowledge of both Judaism and the gospel that one of the false teacher's recruiting methods was to undermine Paul by casting doubt on his understanding of Judaism and on his interpretation of Christianity. (laughs) Two weeks ago, we saw Paul begin to remind the people of Galatia of his previous expertise and zeal for Judaism. He didn't misunderstand the law or the traditions of his ancestors. He knew them better than they did, no doubt. Further, he reminded them that he wasn't a stranger to them. Paul's message came with the backing of Paul's very public faith story. They knew God had interrupted Paul's rage against the church and had converted him and taught him himself. Last week, we saw Paul further confirm his trustworthiness when he told them how Cephas and James, the brother of Jesus, knew that Paul's message and ministry were given to him by God himself and that they had given him the right hand of fellowship. Now, this week, we'll see Paul begin to show just how influential these Judaizers had become in their work dividing the body of Christ. They even caused Peter to fear them. Before we get started, though, let me just remind you that we love hearing from you. You can write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Visit proclamationmagazine.com to view past and current online articles and to sign up for weekly emails delivering new material to your inbox every Friday. You can also find a place there to donate to Life Assurance Ministries should you feel called to do so. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, and we'd love for you to leave a review wherever you listen. All right, Colleen. Okay. Here's my question to you. It's pretty simple. (laughs) What did you think of this interaction between Peter and Paul when you were an Adventist? Well, that's interesting. It is so striking to me, Nikki, as we've been doing these podcasts on the book of Galatians that I don't remember much about Galatians from my Adventist period. (laughs) (laughs) But I think what I thought about this was just that Peter was kind of like falling into a little sort of mild racism, and he was being Mm. corrected. He was not acting Christian. He was not acting Christ-like. He had begun to allow public opinion to cause him to sort of move away from some of these Christians who had just become Christians. A feeling that I remember being a pretty common feeling as an Adventist. It's like, 
You don't want to be seen by the wrong people fraternizing with people who can't rise above the glass ceiling in Adventism. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a familiar feeling. And yet I would have been told that that was wrong. But nevertheless, the social pressure was always there. So I think I understood this through sort of a lens like that. This is just a, a social thing that's rude and you dare not be rude. So suck it up and fix it. Don't play to the people with power. Even though the people with power were exerting shame and blame, and it kind of puts you in a catch-22. At least that's how I felt as an Adventist. Mm-hmm. What about you? That's interesting. I think, I think I would have seen it through the lens of social politics, too. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that this is true of many groups, but in Adventism, there's a lot of drama at the leadership levels. Oh, yes. A lot of arguing and a lot of meetings. <laughs> and, and so I think I saw this as kind of that, yeah. you know, that the leadership is bickering again. Yes. And we see how to handle that. Mm-hmm. We handle it by calling out hypocrisy. Yes, yes, yes. We handle it publicly. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't be afraid to confront people who are doing the wrong thing. Yeah, I think that's probably how I thought about it. Mm-hmm. I just didn't understand that the gospel was at stake. I didn't either. I really didn't mm-hmm. know that. I, I just saw it as regular bickering, necessary, mm-hmm. but normal. Mm-hmm. I didn't see Paul's defense of the gospel. No, I didn't either. And I think I would have even said the hypocrisy he called out in Peter was putting a bad light on Christianity. Mm-hmm. If, if anybody was looking. Bad example. Bad example. But I didn't see that he was actually fundamentally protecting the fiber of the gospel. But I didn't know the gospel. I might have thought that he was just confusing people because, look, people get circumcised today. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. A lot of people do in the United States. It's just normal mm-hmm. to do. And so I didn't see the big issue with doing it if it wasn't about salvation. Right. I didn't understand it was entrance into the law. No, I didn't either. You know, and speaking of that, Nikki, I think it's so interesting that circumcision is not required in the new covenant. It's more than just a, okay, that's old and now we have something new. We've, we've gotten wiser, better, and more progressive. There is something really, really significant about the fact that the entire Old Covenant was physical shadows of a spiritual reality that was going to come true when Jesus fulfilled the law. Mm-hmm. And the circumcision act of circumcising all male Jewish babies at the eighth day as a means of bringing them into the covenant was written into the law. It, it preceded the law, it was given to Abraham, but it was written into the law, and it even superseded Sabbath keeping. If the eighth day landed on a Sabbath, that had to be done. But here in the new covenant, the abandonment of circumcision was not just like, well, that's now archaic and a little primitive. The issue was that the new birth, the circumcision of the heart replaced it. And I find it fascinating, Nikki, that in the old covenant, only the men received the physical sign of the covenant. Only men received circumcision. Women were born into the covenant, or they were married into the covenant. You know, you think about Ruth, for example, choosing to become a Jew, even after her Jewish husband died, and she became a Jew by assimilating and avowing to be a Jew. But it was a it was a marriage thing. It was a through her dead husband and her Jewish mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Women didn't receive the sign of the circumcision, but in the new covenant, we all 
receive it. We all receive the new birth. That's why Paul will say later in this book, in Christ there is no male or female, slave or free. We are all one in Christ. (laughs) It's a really big deal and a really new deal. (laughs) And it's new because, not because the old was primitive, but because the reality of Jesus has come and we're equal in His sight. We all receive the sign of the new covenant, the new birth. So, Nikki, would you read these four verses for us? There's just four verses, but they are so packed. And coming from our Adventist background, this is one of the most important passages in these first two chapters of this book. So, this is Galatians three eleven to 14, and I'm reading from the NASB. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, How is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like a Jew? This follows Paul's explanation of the way Peter had participated in giving him the right hand of fellowship when the whole issue of circumcision had been coming up as he preached to the Gentiles. And he had Titus, the Gentile, the Greek young man who had become a believer, and he took Titus with him to Jerusalem even the apostles in Jerusalem had agreed Titus didn't need to be circumcised. So, Nikki, would you just recap for us why circumcision was such an issue for the Judaizers? What was the thing with circumcision? Why are they talking about circumcision as the thing that they're... Because with Adventists, it, it kind of sticks on that word, circumcision. Yeah. They, they kind of refuse to see the real issue. What's the real issue here? Well, the real issue is entrance into the law. And you had talked a couple weeks ago about the Judaizers and Judaism coming from the intertestamental period. Mm-hmm. And two very significant things to that group was circumcision and Sabbath keeping. They went hand in hand. And so they were trying to bring these believers into Judaism so that they would then keep the law. And of course, it's assumed that that included the Sabbath. So circumcision was the sign of being a Jew. If you weren't a Jew, you had no right to keep the law, Mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. The law was given to the Jews. The Jews all knew that. And if you Gentile want to be part of us, you have to become part of us. You have to submit to circumcision, and then you're entitled to all these legal benefits. So that was the issue. This is such an interesting thing, because like we talked last week, Peter had a unique experience with God at the very beginning of the planting of the church. Peter had been assigned to have, as Jesus had said, the keys to the kingdom. Would you recap for us that remarkable vision he had in Acts 10? So Peter was staying with Simon the Tanner, which is interesting because Simon was a Jew who worked with dead animals, which would have required ceremonial cleaning, but that didn't stop Peter from staying there. Yeah. Even so, God had to come to him with this vision mm-hmm. where he dropped the sheet down that had unclean animals on it. And God told him, rise, kill, and eat. (laughs) And Peter said, Lord, no. And I I love the point that S. Lewis Johnson makes. He says, Lord, no, is not 
a good sentence. <laughs> you don't say Lord. No, you don't. No, uh-uh. but he did. And, um, he let the Lord know that he's never had anything like that. And the Lord told him that he needed to do this and not to call unclean anything that he has called clean. Next thing you know, he's being sent to Cornelius. Right. God told him that someone was going to come for him. And so from there, Peter is called by messengers sent by God to go to Cornelius's household where he stayed for several days, where he preached the gospel, where he watched the whole household of Cornelius speak in tongues as they accepted the gospel. And Peter said, how can anyone refuse them baptism? And through these days he'd been with Cornelius, he'd been staying in a Gentile house, eating Gentile food, eating unclean food. How could he not? And that's what God had prepared him for. The new covenant is new. Ephesians 2.14 tells us that the barrier between Jew and Gentile, the dividing wall was taken down in Christ on the cross. The barrier of the law written in ordinances, that's including the Ten Commandments, was taken in the body of Christ to the cross, fulfilled in all of its meaning. The death sentence was accomplished by Jesus. He broke the curse by rising from death. And now, as Paul explains so carefully in the book of Ephesians, Gentiles who formerly had no part with God, they were strangers to the covenants of promise. Without God in the world, they've now been brought near, and Jews who believe are brought near, and there's one new man in Christ. That's what God was showing Peter when he went to this Gentile household and oversaw the first group of Gentiles (laughs) receiving the Holy Spirit just as the Jews had, but without ever keeping the law. If Peter had not been given that task to oversee the Jews in Acts 2 in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost receiving the Holy Spirit, the Samaritans in Acts 8 receiving the Holy Spirit, and the Gentiles in Acts 10 receiving the Holy Spirit, if he hadn't given the apostolic oversight to this and it had only been word of mouth, it's unlikely the church would have been unified. Mm -hmm. It would have always been, well, okay, we'll allow the Gentiles in and they probably should become Jews, but whatever. It would have been second-class citizens. But God made sure that his appointed man, Peter, and Peter will say in Acts 15 that God gave him this job. He he gave him the, the calling to do that. Mm-hmm. He gave his man, Peter, the job of seeing these people groups all receive the Holy Spirit in exactly the same way, by faith in Jesus alone, so the church would not have schisms and factions and be a layered, you know, you're a better Christian than you, than you, than you. You're more of a child of God than the Gentile. No, everybody's equal in his sight. That's the Peter that Paul is taking to task here. He knew he had the vision. He had the experience of seeing these people groups all accept the gospel in the same way. And, you know, I think it's a significant thing to to remind people that when Cornelius and his family received the Holy Spirit, that wasn't like, okay, you guys can be a part of the group. That was them being born again. Yes. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, when you heard the word of truth and believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of your inheritance. Yes. This is Ezekiel 36. This is God putting his spirit in them and bringing their spirit to life. They were already accepted and brought into the family of God, which is why Peter said, 
who who can deny this yes this baptism peter knew that they were in the body of christ already these judaizers were saying in order to be in the body of christ you have to be circumcised but peter understood very well that they were in the body of christ born again if they believed the true gospel yes in fact his understanding of that fact about the gentiles preceded paul's conversion mm-hmm. It preceded Paul becoming a believer. So Peter was the first one to have this eyewitness experience. And here he is in Antioch, as Paul tells the story, and he encounters Peter pulling away from the Gentiles at meals. Now, he's referring to believers. He's not referring to unbelievers here. Like you said, Peter knew. But these Judaizers came, and can't you feel what Peter felt? Yeah, it was fear. It, it was, was fear. It was social fear. Yeah. You know, I, I want to point out one thing. When I read this, as I was preparing for this podcast, and I read Paul refer to Cephas as standing condemned, I had a pause because Romans 8.1 says there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it was helpful to me to see that the Greek word behind condemned isn't about a final judgment, a final um punishment or or penalty for something. It means to find as decisively guilty on the basis of direct personal acquaintance. So Paul had been witness to Peter being guilty of a specific sin. Yes. Standing condemned, it's not the kind of condemnation of Romans 8. It doesn't undo what Paul wrote in Romans 8 for him to say, that Peter stood condemned. That's such an important point, Nikki. Peter did not lose his salvation because this happened. He was just caught in a sin of the flesh, which Paul will explain in great detail in Romans 7 when he writes that epistle later. He talks about the fact that as believers, we love God's law, which we now understand to be not the ten, but the entire will of God as revealed in His Word. Mm -hmm. But in our flesh, we still have a law of sin in our members. That's Romans 7.23. So, that's what Peter was doing. Mm -hmm. He was falling prey to a sin of the flesh. He had succumbed to the fear of man instead of the fear of God. He was allowing the Judaizers to guilt him and shame him and to make him feel like he had to prove he was as good a Jew as they were. They were coercing people through guilt and shame and manipulation to be circumcised. And Peter allowed himself to be swayed. And it was not a small thing because this is the Peter whom all of those early believers knew had been the Peter who had overseen the first Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. That was this Peter. And it was so profound that he removed himself from the Gentiles that even Barnabas went away. Even Barnabas started eating just with the Jews. Yeah. And you know, it, it was interesting to me that Paul didn't call out Barnabas here. Paul called out Cephas. Yeah. And I think that it's because Cephas is an apostle. Mm-hmm. He's held to a different standard. He was he was in the highest office at that gathering. Yeah. And it, it made me think about men in leadership in the church. And I, I'm singling out men because men are the ones who are supposed to be in leadership. Yeah. According to scripture. We see here that pastors and elders and of course the apostle, they're held to a different standard because 
people do look to them. Yes. The body of Christ looks to our leaders yeah. to know how are we supposed to behave among right. each other. I mean, we look to scripture first, but Paul does say to follow their examples. And so they yeah. can confuse us. Yes. <laughs> and they're responsible for explaining the word to us too, for teaching and modeling the word. So absolutely. So they don't have a nine to five job. No. The qualification to be an elder or a pastor is very much related to their lifestyle. That's right. To their character and to who they are. And so when a, a pastor or an elder sins mm-hmm. in the same way that a lay person sins, it's sometimes harder to be willing even to see it. That's right. And it's easy for people to be drawn away and to excuse it. And even if they're living with cognitive dissonance, right. to dismiss it. And so I, I don't know, I can't prove it, but I suspect that the reason Peter is specifically called out is everything you said. He's the apostle. He knew better. He had the keys to the kingdom. He had visions from God. He knew. Yes. And yet he was setting that aside because of his fear of man, yes. not his fear of God. And he was leading people astray. Yeah. He was confusing people. Yes. And you know, Nikki, I think it's really important to understand that it wasn't just a social sin he was committing. Mm-hmm. And I kind of didn't know what Ellen White said about Galatians, because her writing <laughs> about Galatians isn't like the thing we learn. And she didn't maybe say that much about it. I did find this paragraph in Acts of the Apostles, page 197, and it's the third paragraph. And this is probably where I got my idea of what the big deal was about this as an Adventist, which was just that Peter was being rude mm-hmm. and hypocritical. Here's what Ellen White said. When Peter, at a later date, visited Antioch, he won the confidence of many by his prudent conduct toward the Gentile converts. Well, wait a minute. Where does it say that in the Bible, that he won the confidence of many by the prudent conduct toward the Gentile converts? Anyway, for a time he acted in accordance with the light given from heaven. He so far overcame his natural prejudice as to sit at table with the Gentile converts. But when certain Jews who were zealous for the ceremonial law came from Jerusalem, Peter injudiciously changed his deportment toward the converts from paganism. A number of the Jews dissembled likewise with him, inasmuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. This revelation of weakness on the part of those who had been respected and loved as leaders left a most painful impression on the minds of the Gentile believers. The church was threatened with division, but Paul, who saw the subverting influence of the wrong done to the church through the double part acted by Peter, openly rebuked him for thus disguising his true sentiments. In the presence of the church, Paul inquired of Peter, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Nikki? Yes, I will say Peter was extremely hypocritical here for all the social reasons we've talked about, but that wasn't the real problem. He was endorsing a false gospel. Mm -hmm. The Judaizers who threatened him, whom he feared, 
more than God, are the ones who were asking the Gentiles to be circumcised, to become Christians. They were saying, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law. You have to accept Jesus plus be circumcised. That's what they were doing. And by removing himself from the Gentiles, Peter was endorsing a false gospel. You know, this is quite the contrast with what we discussed last week. The significance of Peter giving the right hand of fellowship to Paul was profound. Yes. And here, just a few verses down, yes. we see him by his actions, which were motivated by the fear of man. Yes. He gave the right hand of fellowship to false teachers yes. and led other believers with him. It's not enough to just say, as Ellen did, as I thought as an Adventist, that he was just being rude to the Gentile believers. No, this wasn't just subtle classism. This was a false gospel he was endorsing. That's why Paul came out of his skin. That's why Paul wrote this book. Mm -hmm. This letter to the Galatians is about a false gospel, about legalism, about applying the law to the Christian as a rule of faith and practice that has to go hand in hand with belief in Christ. And he's going to tell us later in this book why that cannot be true. And that teaching is what Peter, of all people, was endorsing without words. It reminds me again of Hebrews 10, where it says, exhort one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that you will not become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is Peter becoming hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It didn't seem like a big deal to go and eat with a Jew because he was a Jew, but that was the deceitfulness of covering over the underlying thing of a false gospel. Nikki, that's why we do what we do. That's why Adventism is dangerous. People look at Adventist people, read their stated beliefs in public places, and they don't see what's underneath. Peter was doing a surface thing that looked explainable, even though it might have been a little rude and hypocritical. But the real issue was the gospel was being threatened. And at the heart of it, Paul knew that what drove Peter wasn't just the excuses that he might have given. It was a fear of these people. Yes. There's a fear of, oh, I don't want to look like I'm dividing the body. I don't want to look like I'm, you know, causing trouble or singling people out or marginalizing. And maybe I should take them in and then maybe I can change them from the inside. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's not what was going on. Mm -mm. This was a fear of being unliked. By people that claim to be leaders from Jerusalem. I have to say, I sometimes hear people teach Galatians and they treat it like it's just about legalism. And maybe I have the word wrong in my head, but when I think of a a born-again legalist, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think of someone who beats themselves up when they miss a church service or or a, you know, Wednesday night prayer group who needs to be told that you're still saved. Right. (laughs) It's okay. Yeah. This was a false gospel. Yes. This wasn't just like, hey, if you want to please the Lord, you have to do these things. This is if you want to be saved, if you want to be a part of God's people, Mm -hmm. this is a distorted gospel that that Paul called anathema down on. Exactly. This is what this book is about, and this is what Peter was endorsing. This was a false gospel, and of all people, Peter knew that was wrong. So, like you said last week, Paul needed Peter, and here we see Peter needed Paul. 
He did. In the body of Christ, we have to be courageous enough to stand primarily and loyally with truth. Far above being liked. I'm sure Paul didn't think, oh, Peter's not going to like me. I better not publicly (laughs) call him out. Paul loved his brother by calling him out. That's right. And we learn later, and I, I think, again, this is a tender thing. We learn later that Peter loved Paul. Yeah. He didn't hold this against him. He apparently took the correction and acknowledged it. We learn in 2 Peter 3, 14 to 18, this is what Peter writes about Paul. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. And here it comes, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. This passage also happens to contain another statement that Adventists take out of context. There are some things, Peter continues about Paul's writings, (laughs) in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And you know what strikes me about this? Peter isn't saying, well, no one can understand Paul. No. He's saying the unstable twist him. And he called his writing scripture. Yes, he did. And he also told these believers to whom he was writing that they needed to take care not to be carried away by the error of lawless people and lose their own stability. You know, That's what Peter did when Paul confronted him. He listened. And to go back to the law, once you have known the risen Christ who has fulfilled the law, once you've been born again, to go back to the law, Paul will continue later in this book of Galatians, is to fall from grace. It's an unlawful use of the law to go back to the law. It's unlawful. And Peter accepted this reproach from Paul. Now in his second epistle, he's saying, don't be lawless. Don't go to unlawful things that don't fit the gospel. Stay true to the gospel and don't twist Paul. He loved Paul, our beloved brother. And so we see that whatever went on between these two, it did not cause a rift. And you know, it's interesting too to to look at how Paul did this. He didn't shame him. No, he didn't shame him. I think as an Adventist, when I'd read this, I had all the snarking attitude in my mind while I read it. (laughs) It was like, I I told him. Uh (laughs) But but what he says, he he presents him with a logical question. Yeah. It's, It's a question meant to get him to evaluate, to think about what he's doing. That's all it is. That's right. If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles, which we have already established he had been doing since the vision of the sheet, yeah, how can you ask the Gentiles to live like Jews? That's not just about eating at separate tables. He's saying, how can you expect those Gentiles to be circumcised? How can you expect them to live by the law? He said, how can you compel the Gentiles That's right. to live like the Jew? That's a strong word. Yes, it is. I don't know. I don't believe anymore that there was all that snarking attitude. <laughs> I think that um, it was definitely uncomfortable. (laughs) Uh I think it was. But I don't think it was a a dress down. Right. And I have to also say, some might wonder why he addressed Peter publicly. 
And it's really important. In 2 Timothy, there are instructions for what to do if an elder falls into sin. And because an elder is a teacher and a leader of the congregation, if they fall into sin and have two to three witnesses, each independently confirming the sin, the elder is to be confronted publicly because their role is public. Peter was an apostle, as you have said. His example and his witness counted. He was establishing the gospel along with Paul. That was Jesus's commission to the apostles. It had to be a public thing. And Peter graciously took the reproof. Mm -hmm. It's just really interesting to me that in Adventism, the prophet never mentioned the illegality of causing these people to be circumcised to go under the law. And she made this issue not about a false gospel, but she made it a matter of hypocrisy on the part of Peter instead of a matter of Peter endorsing a false gospel. So I want to say to all of you who are listening, if you have been an Adventist or even if you haven't, if you've never really considered the implications of trying to retain attachment to the legal requirements that you lived under, the Sabbath, the food laws, if you have never considered the implication of what that means in trusting Jesus fully for your salvation, but just what if, maybe, maybe I'll just hedge my bets and, you know, honor the Sabbath, or maybe I'll just hedge my bets and refuse to eat chicken. I'm not saying you have to eat meat. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying, if you haven't considered the implications of hanging on to the pieces of the law that gave you identity as an Adventist, think about Peter. Paul confronted him. And you need to know Jesus is enough. He fulfilled the entire law. He broke down the barrier between Jew and Gentile, the law, the wall of separation in his body on the cross. And when you trust him, you can trust him with everything, with your food, with your friends, with your worship. He will give you new life. He will give you a new identity. And the law is an illegitimate tag-along. Trust Him today. Know His new birth and salvation. And know what it means to live in peace. And to know what it means to be in His body, eternally transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. If you have questions or comments for us, write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. You can visit proclamationmagazine.com to view past and current online articles and to sign up for weekly emails delivering new material to your inbox every Friday. You can also find a place to donate there if you'd like to come alongside Life Assurance Ministries with your financial support. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review wherever you listen. And join us next week as we complete chapter two of Galatians, where we'll clearly see that justification occurs apart from the law. And we'll see you then.